Welcome to the Gregory House Podcast. This is The Purpose of Theology for the Life and Mission of the Church by Deacon John Clark. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I hope you guys are ready for a, a theology party and you don't see that in any way as a contradiction in terms. This is, this is festive stuff. Let me start uh, by saying this. Martin Luther was fond of saying, a true theologian calls a thing what it actually is. And we might say something like, um, uh, one of the skills that theology teaches us is to say true things about the way things truly are, or something like that. So what I want to do, just to start off, I think it's really fitting, is just to acknowledge, and we've done it, and I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it, but I do want to, I, I do want to have it before us. Uh, this has been a really tough season, <laughs> getting to this point. Um, I know uh, staff, clergy at res and throughout our diocese are um, stretched and weary and fatigued. I'm really palpably aware of that. Um, I want you to think just for a minute about how closely this parallels and resembles in a whole lot of ways uh, the, the context of the Upper Room Discourse. So we've got um, our Lord's disciples following him as he's making his way, as he's pressing in, actually, he's bearing down and pressing into the, the, the depths of life east of Eden, all the way to Gethsemane and Golgotha. And as he goes throughout that ministry, you see um, human opposition and diabolical opposition mounting. And so the, the disciples feel that, right? They feel the weight of that. And then they get sideswiped by uh, Judas and his betrayal. And then to top it all off in the upper room discourse, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. <laughs> right? And so scripture is really um, at pains there to, to communicate to us that that context is one of um, confusion, anxiety, um, you know, extreme emotional distress. I don't think that's an overstatement at all. And so we might think, boy, um, you need to be really tone deaf to launch into a theology session in a context like that, right? That's exactly what our Lord does. Exactly then, exactly there, he gives us his um, longest, um, most profound, uh, most extended theology class that we get in the Gospels. He leaves us no doubt as to why, right? And this is, this is a word of the Lord for us right now. These things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full, right? That's the, that's the disposition of theological formation. And again, I've said these things to you so that in me, you may have peace, right? Shalom, that noble, you know, the peace that the world cannot give, the kind of peace that only our Lord can give. And here's the twofold promise. The first one we don't like so much. The second one's magnificent. In this world, you will have thalipsis, uh, worry, <laughs> trouble, suffering. It's a promise of God. In this world, you will have this. Take heart, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? And you and me are overcomers of the world. So that's something really important and crucial about the theological task that is by rights, um, the church is and actually hers alone, the theological task. Theology is in no sense, in no way, an idle armchair pastime, right? That, that you abandon as soon as, as soon as the world gets chaotic and as soon as you start to feel it, you abandon it and you start to go to the pragmatic uh, and what you think would be uh, practical and pastoral. 
Theology is actually the most practical and pastoral thing we could ever do, precisely because it's theological. What it does is it, it brings Jesus Christ himself to bear upon us. It puts him on our lips, in our hearts, his peace, his joy, right in our bones, right amidst all the storms and chaos of life. So the first thing I want to say here about you know, casting a vision for Gregory House today and beyond is that this is intended to be a balm for us. And uh, a, a, like I said, a theology party we can make much of um, the good news and the theologic of the gospel as it bears upon and explicates the whole of life. It's the balm we need. Think about it, and let's us think about it together as our, our invitation to answer this call from our Lord to the issues over and over and over again. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Right? Well, whatever else is the case, whatever else we get here, um, the church does theology in the presence of Jesus Christ as he is the church's ultimate theologian, right? Just like he's the ultimate choir master. Jesus Christ, the head and Lord of his church, is doing this. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So let's pray, and let's go. The Lord be with you. Living Lord Jesus Christ, you are forever faithful and true and ever live to um, be our advocate, our intercessor. Uh, would you take us in your holy high priestly hands and bear us up to where you as the eternal living word have forever been and ever will be, and that is right in the bosom of your Father. Would you teach us that theological formation is in um, uh, navel-gazing and chin-scratching at a distance from you, but it's actually being um, taken up into you, uh, being renewed in our minds as we participate in your eternal knowing of the Father, and as you open up the very bosom of the Father to us, uh, so that in his love for you, we find that we are loved uh, because we're included in the Father's love for you. Uh, settle us, teach us, give us due confidence, give us the peace and joy that we ask. And we, we ask in all of these things that you would continue to build us up, uh, bind us together, uh, and build your church against which we uh, can be sure the gates of hell will not prevail. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, you guys, I've got your, I've got your handout right here. And what I want to do today, I just I want to I give an overview. I'm keyed in generally to uh, the introduction of the book. I want to hit some big themes and talk about some of the things I just want to have in place for the rest of our time together. Um, I want to give the first words here to Richard Dawkins. I like to do that. It might seem ironic, but I'll, I'll give the first words about theology to him. But before I do, I just want to say this real quickly. Um, I, I don't actually like to take questions. I don't like to put them off all to the end because, first of all, if you've got something you want to say or, or ask, it's tough sometimes to wait 40 minutes. The time's long past. But um, that really stimulates and drives us, right? The conversation we're, we're, we want to have. And most of all, um, it conforms to the very nature of the theological discourse and formation, right? The Lord made us out of dialogue to be his dialogue partners, right? By dialogue, let us make for dialogue. 
And so when, when, we do the, when we do theology discursively, what we're actually doing is, is forming it to the very nature of what, of what theology is. So I don't want to do a whole bunch of, you know, me going this way and then save it all to the end. My job is to keep us on task, I'll do that, but um, whenever you want, I, I crave it, so I want to teach with a whole lot of hospitality, so uh, whenever you want, you let me know, and if you want to come up here, you know, I, I can also repeat the question. I've been teaching on Zoom for a couple of years now, so we've learned some things. <laughs> let me start with Dawkins, and the, the, point I want to, the point I want to make here is um, uh, theology isn't always a, a, a welcome conversation, right? Uh, if you want to be a conversation stopper, right, tell someone you're a theology professor, or start to talk about theology, we're often confused as to what it is. So I want to let Dawkins have this uh, first word here. And I quote him, you've got it right here in your notes. What has theology ever said that is of the smallest use to anybody? And we're off to an auspicious start, right? When has theology ever said anything that's not demonstrably true and is not obvious? I've listened to theologians, read them, debated against them, I have never heard any of them ever say anything that is of the smallest use. Anything that was not either platitudinously obvious or downright false. If the achievements of scientists were wiped out tomorrow, says Dawkins, there would be no doctors but witch doctors, no transport faster than horses, no computers, no printed books, no agriculture beyond subsistent peasant farming. Conversely, if all the achievements of theologians were wiped out tomorrow, would anybody notice the smallest difference? Even the bad accomplishments, achievements of scientists, the bombs, sonar-guided whaling vessels, they work. The achievements of theologians don't do anything. They don't affect anything. They don't mean anything. So what makes anyone think that theology is a subject at all? And if we're going to if we're going to be uh, people that say true things about the way things truly are, right? We've got to address that right off the bat. What are some of the observations you see in Dawkins? First of all, he, he, he totalizes science and therefore takes, takes a, a, a gift of God and denatures it. He's really talking about scientism here. He's a pragmatist to the core. He's an artful. He's, he's hysterical. Nobody's told him, right? Um, Overstatement doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't um, strengthen comments. It actually cheapens them. But what I really want you to see is that what he says here is theological to the core, right? To the core. Uh, as much as theology is misunderstood, sometimes maligned, um, it's an inevitability. It's, inscap it's inescapable, right? So to be um, a creature of God and the world God made, right? To bear God's image, um, in the world that is God's is to live a theological existence by definition. Theology I have on the top of page two is an inevitable, inescapable human exercise. Therefore, everyone, even atheist evangelists like Richard Dawkins are theologians. So let's think about that and explore that just a little bit. Because we bear God's image, Human existence is theological. We might say something like this. Behind all of our wrestlings, right, behind all the questions of life are the questions of God, right? Now, we, we, might, we might deal with that joyfully and, and very upfront 
in a, in a holy God-besottedness, right? A, a preoccupation, a joyful preoccupation with that which matters most, first things, knowledge of God. But even at its worst, we're God-haunted. And lots of sociologists that talk about what it means to live in a secular age. That's what they, that's what they talk about, right? Our issue isn't that we can't find God, even in a post-Christian culture. Um, our issue is that we can't sufficiently flee God. Dawkins is a perfect example of that, right? Like Shakespeare would say, Richard, you doth protest too much for this God you don't believe in. You can't stop talking about him, right? He can't, he can't suppress the truth enough. He can't flee from God. He's living a profoundly theological existence. Even more to the point, maybe, because we're created by God for communion with him, by God for God, right? How ennobling is that? Um, we're created by that inner triune dialogue to be dialogue partners of God, utterly unique in all of his creation. That being the case, we're homo adorans, right? Uh, worshiping beings, right? We're hardwired for it in ways that squirrels and butterflies just are not. You know, you might say we're thinking creatures and we're, you know, homo faber, we're makers of, makers of tools and all that's the case. But at, at bottom, what people actually are is lovers and worshipers. That's what we are. We're hardwired for it. We can't escape it, right? Um, if, if, if our choice is to um, resolutely reject worship of God, um, we'll, 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 do the X, we'll go the X-17 route, right? We'll be promiscuous. We will worship anything. Cheeseburgers, our face in the mirror, career, spouses, family. We're built for it. So it's never a question of will we worship, but what will we worship and to what end, right? It's inevitable. All of that means is it's, our life is a theological existence right to its core, right? Inescapable. Um, and who would want to escape it? So the question is, not will we be theologians, but we are, right? Uh, will we be good ones? And what does that constitute? Uh, will we be faithful? Will we enter into the, the joy, the peace of our Lord, our Lord, right? Will we hear the word of the Lord um, uh, in our own Gethsemanes and Golgothas, right? And rejoice in it. Um, Will we be on message and on mission? And so that's what we want to do at Gregory House, right? We want to, we want to do theology right here on message and on mission and get, get facility as we live into the joy of the Lord. Now, I know all Christians, and let's hope, most Christians aren't even nearly as acerbic as Richard Dawkins. But if you listen, you'll often find um, that their estimation of theology is um, as confused, um, as tenuous and dubious as that. So the question I want to think about is, why? How, how do we come to this? Let me put four, four big movements, four kind of tectonic changes that have, that have happened um, in the world uh, and provided an opportunity for the church to, at, at some extent, conform to the world um, that have brought us to this kind of thing. Think with me about them and jump in anytime you want. First of all, um, we've been enchanted by the movement of the Enlightenment, right? That massive um, 16th, 17th, 18th century movement that is, that is um, fundamentally changed the way people think about the world. Let me read for you this quote from Immanuel Kant, one of the architects of the Enlightenment, as you well know. He says this, Enlightenment is the human being's emancipation from itself incurred immaturity. 
humanity coming of age and finding that we're masters of our own destiny. Immaturity is the inability to make use of one's intellect without the direction of another. Coming out of that, he says, this immaturity is self-incurred when its cause does not lie in a lack of intellect, but rather in a lack of resolve and courage to make use of one's intellect without the direction of another. So the Enlightenment's born in that, in that cultural flight from traditional ways of knowing truth and certainty. Supere ade, have the courage to make use of your own intellect is henceforth the motto of the Enlightenment, right? A, a cultural coming of age where we don't need to be under the nonage, the tutelage of another, surely not the Lord Jesus Christ, surely not Holy Scripture, surely not his bride and body, the church. Another architect, Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am, right? So the, the issue is if, if you're struggling with truth and, truth and certainty and you're, you're struggling with um, universal doubt, as it were, what you do is you, you surround yourself with yourself, learn that you're the datum point and controlling principle of understanding all things, even who God is, right? And then you live out into the world that way. So our culture shift, shifted, obviously. We might not say something like, I think, therefore I am. We might say, um, I feel a certain way and therefore so it is. This is an identity for me. Or I do lots of stuff, therefore I'm, I'm valuable, right? I do stuff constantly, therefore I am. But the issue is this. Um, we've come to the place culturally where we think about the world and even about God as if we were the datum point, the starting point and the controlling principle of uh, all knowledge. Does that make sense? The self surrounded by the self, grounded in the self, um, pronouncing not only who the self is, but who God is and can be. It's a massive, massive cultural move to the extent that the church has conformed to it, been enchanted by it. Big shifts in the way we think about uh, theology. The second one I talk about is uh, rejecting mystery. And I don't mean Sherlock Holmesian type of mystery where you just, you know, apply powers of deduction and, you know, untie Gordian knots and at the end everything is nice and settled. I mean that type of, whole, we'll talk at length about this, but that type of holy biblical mystery, right, where there is, there is no technique to apply to it. Um, uh, that um, even as God is mystery revealed, right, biblical revelation is the, the mystery revealed, but even as we, as we come to enter into and know the mystery, we find that you can't plumb it, you can't span it. Uh, span it. The more light we find, right, uh, the more the mystery illumines the world, the more mysterious it gets. Revelation doesn't uh, eradicate mystery. It actually deepens it, punctuates it. One of the things that's happened in, in our culture in the West, for sure, is that we have um, taken mystery as a, out of and separated mystery as a category of knowing. And so we've reduced mystery to um, rational discursive knowledge, the exchange of informational factoids. Right, which is really, really not, not the, 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 the call, the role of technology, or I mean of, of theology. This is the way uh, Alexander Schmemann says, this amounts to the separation of knowledge from mystery, which is an affirmation of the world's autonomy, of its self-sufficiency in terms of reason, knowledge, and action. 
to the extent that the church conforms to the spirit of this age, this is what happens, right? There's less and less place and more and more um, confusion and um, skepticism about the task of theology, right? That, that holy office of the church. We might say something like this. There's a subtle shift then that goes on in theology from uh, what the ancients used to say, mystagogy, right? Uh, training in the mysteries, right? Ultimately, that grand mystery, which is Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? Training in the mysteries. Um, and it gets reduced to something like um, technagogy, um, training in technique, uh, practagogy. Um, training in, in modes of application. As good as that is, right, the, the, the theological um, lodestar of this is actually participation, right? We, 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 learn, we, we learn to live into our calling in Jesus Christ first and foremost as we participate in him, right? So it's an exchange and it's a, it's a, it's a shift from mystagogy to technagogy. Do you guys want to say anything so far? Yes, Brett. Yeah. So if the way that kind of knowledge is not guaranteed, what is the way? The, the knowing mystery. To knowing mystery? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, for, for, for those of our, uh, what is the way then of knowing mystery? Jesus says to the Pharisees something really amazing, John 17. What they're doing is questioning him, right? And, and as is the case, they, they tend to think that they're the ones asking the questions, not realizing that it's actually the Lord asking us the questions. Um, he's sorting them out. But he says this, if you, if you want to know if what I say is of the Father, follow me. Follow me. So his issue is um, we know by faith and discipleship, or we don't know at all, and in fact, we can't know. So what we tend to do, if we miss that, is we sit off at a distance and we, we try to domesticate and deconstruct, right, um, the Lord. And, so, and often that's what happens with theology. It's thought of as something like that. It's a chin-scratching, navel-gazing endeavor. We try to domesticate the Lord rather than knowing this. Unless we submit ourselves to him, we can't know him, <laughs> right? We can't know him. So, so all of that to say, it's not that there's not a place for technique, it's that um, it's, it's overblown and understated such that it eclipses this, right? Anselm, right? Uh, great pastor, church thinker. Um, I believe so that I can understand. More to the point, um, I believe that unless I believe, I cannot understand. Right? So the great theology of the church is couched in prayer. It's couched in the life of the church. That's the vision of Gregory House, to bring it right back here. A relinquishing of a birthright. Let's talk a little bit about that. Our Christian forebears knew really well that the native natural habitat for theology is the church. And why? Because theological formation is formation into Jesus Christ, who is our theology. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. He is the ultimate theologian, right? He is the head of the body. We do theology in his presence as, as we participate in his knowing of the Father, right? Jesus Christ is actually, he's actually opening up his very life to us 
healing our broken knowledge of the Father, healing our deep distrust, right? Um, uh, healing our, our um, desire sometimes or our knee-jerk reaction to self-project and deify our own, our own self-projections on God. And he's actually healing all that as he brings us into the most intimate personal knowing <laughs> that there is in the world. The, father, the son's knowledge of the father, um, his placement right in the bosom of the father and the koinonia of the spirit. Theology has to be done in the church and it has to be done in the presence of Christ because we can't know Christ in his absence, right? Apart from him, we can do nothing, certainly not be conformed to him. What modernity tends to do is push theology. It's been marked by an effort to push theology to the margins of the church and beyond it, and in so much as it does that away from the convictions, the practices of Christian life. So what we do, what we do when we start today, worship, right? theology on our knees, as it were, um, praise, discipleship, the exercise of ministry. When theology moves from, you know, uh, lectern or pulpit and sanctuary to lectern and academic hall, and it can be done there, and I've been really benefited by it. Um, the context does change the content of what's going on. As that's been the case, what's happened with the church, the people of God, is, is they've become more and more suspicious and more and more estranged from that office and that gift, which is one of God's most precious gifts, right? The theological office that is the church's not alien to the life of the church, um, not to be distrusted and disowned by the church, but actually to be embraced, right? It's just basic to our discipleship. Christian formation is way more than theological formation, but it can't be less. It has to be there. We might say something like this. Um, once, once that happens, and this is the fourth movement I want to talk about. Once that happens, um, theology is um, on the fringes of the church, outside of uh, the commitments of faith, discipleship, mission. Um, there's a subtle shift in language. There's a subtle shift in methodology. There's, there's a subtle shift in the purposes and ends for which theology is given by our Lord. And so I've got this point D. Right? What happens there is there's a subtle, or, or maybe not so subtle, undermining of the very identity and authority and, for lack of a better term, relevance, right? How is theology relevant to us? Lots of you know Richard John Newhouse. Listen to what he says. In relating Christianity to some other way of constructing reality, right, the issue is, is that um, the mystery of Jesus Christ has actually opened up the world to us and shown us the reality of God, and in doing so, the reality of the world and the reality of the human self. In trying to relate Christianity and um, to relate it to some other way of constructing reality, the other way too often demonstrates in modernity the greater power of absorption. The result from the Christian viewpoint is apostasy. To be sure, this is not the intention. Very few people are um, intending and trying to do that. But here is elsewhere, intentions may have little to do with consequences. Thus, we must view with robust skepticism, this is, the, this is the way and one of the few ways we want to be skeptical, the proposition that good sociology or psychology is a good theology and vice versa. I'll go back and expand on that in a minute. 
One suspects that those who say such things have a stronger idea of what good sociology or psychology is than what they do good theology. The reason for this is not to be found in a moral fault, but in the very structure of intellectual discourse in our world, right? It's, 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 it's the, the, the byproduct of this tectonic shifts that I've been talking about. Now, this isn't to say for a second, sociology isn't a wonderful um, form of creaturely wisdom, and we need it. Psychology isn't that. Um, literature isn't that. Science isn't that. And all the hard and soft sciences, it's not the point at all that he's making, nor that we would want to conclude. But the issue is that none of these things can provide for us the content of the gospel, right? None of these can ground the gospel or the mission of the church. And to the extent we don't know that, um, there, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a loss of authority, right? God-given authority. There's a loss of identity and there's a loss of relevance in theology as theology is to relate to the church. So I think, you know, the way Dawkins talks is very acerbic but I don't think that there's, at the end of the day, um, I think there's a lot of Christians who would, who would feel every bit as queasy and uneasy about um, the church's theological mission and vocation. That's one of the things we want to overcome, <laughs> heal, correct at Gregory House. Comments? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. What's a, what's a relationship between church and academy, right? Um, John Webster has his entire career um, written on just that. What makes theology theological? Um, what place does theology have there um, in in academic life and in you know um, integrative disciplinary study and things like that? One of the things we have to realize is that, um, <laughs> I was just talking to Father Steve about Colossians, right? Jesus Christ is from the beginning. We'll make much of that. Um, he is preeminent in all things. All things were made not only by him, but through him and for him. All things hold together in him. We can't overstate that. Um, he is preeminent in all things. And so one of the things we need to think about as Christians is, does theology have its own inherent logos? Do you hear the word logos, logic, right? Um, does theology have its own logic? Does, does God have a logic that we can't apply an alien logic to without denaturing who God is and, uh, and, and uh, the message and mission of the church? If we can start there, right, now we can, now we can actually engage um, in the discourse of the world, and we must, right? We absolutely must. Um, and, and think well and speak to um, the way the world thinks, the way the world speaks to values of the world without adopting that in the process. My doctor father used to say, you know, if we don't do that, we'll tend to not uh, adapt to the world, but we'll adopt in the process, and, and, and the church will perform that grand counter-miracle of turning wine back into water, right? Um, will speak very much like the world. That's actually how you learn to speak Christianese, because actually the, 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 the message of the church is actually gutted of its theological content. 
is actually talking very much like the world, just in a, in a funny Christian dialect. If we can do that, we don't adopt, nor do we have to retreat. We can actually engage, right? Then we can actually um, learn and think and think about the way in which um, things ought to be grounded and thought well about. Does that help for now? Let's talk about the purpose, the vision of Gregory House, which Amy has already done at great length. But one of the things I want to say here, just with respect to the theology piece, the aim of Gregory House is really simple, I think, and really uncluttered by novelty. It's got a beautiful simplicity to it. It's to resource a revival of word and sacrament with theological formation that's done in the church, by the church, for the church, uh, for the life of the church and then the life of the world, right? The, the, the church for the mission of the world. It's to, it's to bring theology back to not the only place it can be done, I hope, because tomorrow I'll be down at Moody doing um, this, um, but the, the native and natural context, right? Anything that I would do on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday down at Moody, if it's not for the life of the church, then, I, then I'm doing, I'm, I'm off mission. This is the native and natural context for theology. So it's to bring theology back to where it belongs, back to where it has flourished, right? And you think about, you know, all, all, of, all of the great um, theologians, the people that in, in the academy, people are writing dissertations and footnoting, they're bishops and monks and abbots and missionaries and evangelists, right? Um, theology is for the life of the church. The church has been wonderful at um, forming theologians. This aim is motivated by this conviction, that theology is meant to sing to the glory of God and the presence of God amidst a worshiping community, right? Any theology, as J.I. Packer would say, any theology that, that can't sing or be sung, right? Any, any that isn't done in the key of the rhapsodic, you should be skeptical of, right? Because it's not rooted in worship and it, and it doesn't foster and form that. It does something else, right? Let me talk about the book a little bit as it plays into this um, piece in, in uh, Gregory House. The premise is that theology is um, the, our, our, our answer to the Lord's call to love him with all our heart, souls, minds, and bodies. Right? Heart, soul, mind, body. Theology is for the whole of the person, right? It's the redemption of, it doesn't take place all up here. That's part of it. It's not subcognitive but it's the redemption of our affections, our affective life, right? That we learn to love what we ought love and delight in what we ought delight in and abhor and find ugly what we ought. Um, our volitional life, right? Um, decisions we make, um, our intuitional life, right? Wisdom, um, our imaginative life. It's the holistic healing of the person that our Lord calls us to and, and does that work as we participate in him, that most authentic human being. Because knowing and loving God is the supreme end of human existence. It's what we're made for, what we're hardwired for. It's the reason we exist. We actually exist to know and love God. And if our life is, is purposed in another way, we're off mission. Right. Do this, do this, and all these other things will be added unto you. So that's really the premise of the book. Uh, our call to Christian formation is a call of Jesus Christ. Come unto me, right? That word is for us. 
It doesn't just reverberate through the centuries, purpose for someone else and others. It's for us. Come unto me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. It's the call of Jesus Christ to be formed in Jesus Christ. And this entails um, more than theological formation. That's why we'll do much more than a theological piece of Gregory House. But certainly and surely nothing less than that. And all the while, right, it's for the renewing and the transformation of our minds, as Paul would say, right? Um, we partake in the mind of Jesus Christ as he binds us to the Father in the communion of the Spirit. And that's the only antidote for being trans conformed to the world, right? It's that, it's that, it's that wonderful kind of... Um, there's, there's no middling ground there. Paul says in Romans, Romans 12, um, be transformed by Jesus Christ or be conformed to the world in the spirit of the age, which is massively powerful, right? And therefore be deformed in the process, be catechized and liturgized by the world or be conformed to Jesus Christ, right? And so, so one of the things I want to be thinking about as we go through for the next year, for the next two years, in fact, is... Um, what does holy resistance look like? <laughs> is that part of the mission of the church, to be formed in Jesus Christ? Does it mean to, to live the world um, for the life of the world and love the world the way the Lord loves the world, but at the same time, hear 1 John 2, right? Do not love the world on its own terms, on its own ends, right? Don't do that or the love of the Father isn't in you. What, is, what, is, what, is, um, uh, what does holy resistance look like as a necessary piece of theological formation? Does that make sense? I want, I want to keep thinking about that. We're actually doing um, theology um, in the face of the powers and principalities. And as you guys all know, that's so, it's so huge in Scripture, right? Any, any, any understanding of the world where we don't have to pick up and put on the full armor of God, like Paul says, is a version of the world we probably learned from Disney. <laughs> Right? This is the world we live in, and if we're, if we're not aware of that, um, boy, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So that's, that's one of the things we want to be thinking about all the time. Let me say a few things um, just to key us into um, things that we'll be expounding for a whole bunch, a whole bunch for the next several weeks. Some first words about theology and, you know, um, I don't want to assume too much here. I want to start right at the beginning. Theology, think about it etymologically. It's a compound of the, of the Greek words theos and logos, right? Um, in that way, in that most basic way, what we're really talking about is God talk, right? God thought. Thinking and speaking about God. We're doing a very, very specific type right here. Um, in the, in the adjective Christian. And that's the only real adjective I want to use consistently, right? There's a, there's a proliferation of what, what people call adjectival theology. Political theology, da, 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 you know, so many. And I think um, what it does is it grounds theology somewhere else. We're doing Christian here at Christian theology that qualifies theology as that specific, unremitting relationship to Jesus Christ um, in whom all things hold together and who is preeminent in all things, right? Authentically Christian theology refuses 
um, to do that and um, insists upon relating to Jesus Christ in a way that's expressly ordered by the theologic of the gospel itself, right? It won't lay any other foundation. It won't put anything beside or lay any foundation under to, so as to um, excavate Jesus Christ from being who Scripture talks about him to be, right? That one foundation that has been laid, apart from which no other can be laid, right? The logos of God. That's what, that's what we want to do. At root, then, what is Christian theology? It's a church's call, glorious call, ennobling call, um, to learn to offer competent, compelling, worshipful, robust <laughs> confession of her faith in the God who is truly, finally revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Michael Reeves says it like this. The center, the cornerstone, the jewel and the crown of Christianity is not an idea, is not a concept, some kind of a mere mental construct, is not a system or a thing. It's not even as such the gospel. Rather, the center, cornerstone, jewel, crown in Christianity, Christianity is Jesus Christ himself, right? So one of the things I want to do over and over um, as, as, a, as a habit of faith is make sure that we're not seeing Jesus Christ as um, an agent um, or a condition by which theology is done, but the actual ground and substance of theology. Our theology, our theos logos, actually, our God word, actually is Jesus Christ himself. And so if you can picture it like this, um, our Lord isn't like a travel agent who is pointing away from himself to some other destination. He's always doing this. All right, we see that in John's gospel especially. I am, I am, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. Life is in me. I don't just tell you where you can find it or how you can get it. He doesn't do technical. It's here. He's always doing that. He's always orientating us to himself. Yeah, Andy. So one of the things, one of the, yeah, Andy's question, thank you. Please remind me of that. Um, Andy's question is, uh, is there anything uh, distinctly and particularly Anglican about the book? And there is. Um, one of the things we want to do, the, the first, probably actually through Christmas, is it we'll do, is we'll talk about the very substance of theology, which is incarnation trinity right incarnation trinity the way that's specifically i mean that's christian right but the way that's specifically anglican is it it, it retrieves for us um our and, and and expounds for us our our connection to the church catholic right it, it, it calls forth for us our catholicity um and our deep deep connections to the early church what chapters three and four let's see andy what are chapters three and four um Theology done in the body of Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's right in our heart, right? That's, that's the Anglican tradition at its best is that. 
what is the proper context for theology so that we get the content and substance right. It's theology for the life of the church, right? So the, so the, the, the way and the context in which theology is formed is in, is in our um, communing with our Lord in word and sacrament, right? We become theologians right here in the context of word and sacrament. Chapter four is about liturgy, right? And the big issue is um, liturgy teaches us how to um, do the world as God has meant the world to be done, right? It's to think about all time and all things differently. It's to think about the world sacramentally. And so there's a liturgical cadence to theology. A theology without, theology that doesn't have an explicit liturgy as we'd know as Anglicans um, will move to an ad hoc liturgy of some other sort. Right? Because we're homo liturgicus, right? We're, we're liturgical creatures. Um, and so if the, if the liturgy isn't explicit, um, we'll be liturgized some other way. We'll be catechized some other way. Um, chapter five is about mystery. Um, mystery that's right at the heart of Christian formation. Um, at its best, right? Let us confess the mysteries together, right? Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. It's deep, deep, deep within our heritage. Um, go forth into the world in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. What is the, what is the eschatological dimension, right? Is, is theology done out in the world and the now and not yet between two advents and two resurrections? So, yeah, that was, a, that was the goal of the book. It's not um, a piece of Anglican theology per se and only that. Because, you know, I wrote it to hopefully do double duty <laughs> uh, at Moody and, at, and here. But it's deeply so. And we'll, we'll key it in all the time. Does that help? How much time we got? Got time. Uh, let me say a few things. Just preliminary points to ponder that I just want to have right up front and then just expound on those. Let, let, them, let, them, let them just expand um, throughout our time together. We can't make too much of this. The Apostle John joins Theos Lagos together by referring to Jesus Christ as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, right? In the beginning. So what John, in light of John's encounter with Jesus Christ, what he wants us to do in his gospel, the first three words, right? In the beginning, what are we supposed to think? Genesis, right? Um, in light of, in, in wake of Jesus Christ, John has to think about all things before time itself in light of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the logos. And that logos was theos. The word was with God and the word was God, right? Through him, all things were made. We can't, we can't ground him anywhere else or on top of anything else. Through him, all things were made. He is the ground of all those things, the light and life of the world. Um, and apart from him, nothing which was made, you know, so on and so forth. John does that there in John 1.1. 1, 1. In John 19.13, or I'm sorry, Revelation, Johanna and Corpus, right? Um, in the summing up of this, this age and the bringing in of that world without end, amen. Um, John says, and that one now in his glorious appearance, right, is king of kings, lord of lords, and who is he? He's the word of God. So what John's doing for us, right, it's called an inclusio, 
In the beginning was the Word, the God Word. In the end, in the summing up of all things and the ushering us into, you know, eternity is the Word. We're, we're beholden to the Word. There is no other foundation which can be laid except that one. What John is telling us is Jesus Christ is himself our theology. He is himself our God word, our God in word. Theology is always, right, um, attending to the, the person of Jesus Christ who is the self-exposition of God, the self-exposition of humanity. To know Jesus Christ is to know that great fact which gives light to all things. Ultimately then, that one who is the logos of God is the logos of humanity and the logos of the world. He's the logic of all things, right? To know him isn't to have, you know, infinite divine knowledge. That's not the point. To know him is to know that one thing you must know, to think well and act well and speak well and live intentionally in every dimension of human existence. That's what we want to parse out. Theology is our participation in Jesus Christ's knowledge of the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit. What we're not doing is thinking about um, when God used to act in Jesus Christ a long time ago and try somehow to, you know, cobble out um, propositions and um, ways of living and apply those to our circumstance. What we're actually doing is theology, is a participation in Jesus Christ near us, present, um, right now, forming us in himself, right, at the very depth and core of our being, as he brings us into the very life of God. Let me, just, let me expand that just for a minute. We'll, we'll do a lot of this in chapter one, but. In Jesus Christ, God has entered into our very human nature. And who Jesus Christ is now, crucified, ascended, right, resurrected, ascended. He is um, that one authentic human. Or God the Son, who deigns to live out his divine life in our human nature as one of us. He's actually taken our humanity, rid it of all that ails it, raised it, incorruptible, sanctified it in himself, and brought our human existence right up into the life of God in the mission of God. And in him, us, right? It's the language of Hebrews. He's made a new and living way in his body, right? Theology is about the body. It doesn't take place um, even fundamentally here. It's about participation in Jesus Christ. Isn't that just glorious? It's just glorious or the redemption and renewal of our minds. I want to launch just for a second. I'm just, do I have enough time? One of the things that'll, that'll, that'll uh, I think, foster, right, joy in theology is this. If all that's true, and it is, uh, then what that means is um, you do theology as one who, as the Father beholds you, he beholds you in the Son, and his acceptance of you and delight for you and love for you 
is an inclusion in his delight and love for the son. Katie shops at a store that I will not mention, right? And she sometimes gets like these knockoff brands. I like Lucky Charms. My tastes are juvenile. I like Lucky Charms. Kate gets these like charms of luck sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about. Just save, there's things you just shouldn't save a dollar on. Um, but you know what I mean, this like derivative, second rate thing. Have you, have, you got, have you guys ever thought about that? What we're doing in the theological task is um, we, we aren't people who Jesus Christ acts as a buffer to. So, so the father can't behold us. The one who the father loves, and he loves his son so much that it's, you know, he endures us. The father beholds us in the son as the son does this to us, right? Think, think about the, the high priest in, in the Old Testament, right? Entering into the Holy of Holies with the, the precious stones, right? Twelve tribes of Israel out front beholds us, right? Father, right? We are included in the love the acceptance of the Son, right? That's the context of which we're doing theology and the one who is our theology. Theology is the obedience of our minds to the mystery of Jesus Christ. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. You hear the way Scripture talks all the time, the Alpha and the Omega. It's important that he's the Alpha because if you don't start there, you won't get to where you want to go, right? He's not just a perfecter of our faith, such that we'd ground and found our faith somewhere else and resources somewhere else and hope to conclude at him. He's the author of our faith, right? We start here and we never get over him, not in a reductionistic way, but in a way that it actually expands, right? In a way now we can start to talk about, he's preeminent in all things. All things hold together in him. Theology is the obedience of our minds, the obedience of our affections, the obedience of our wills to the mystery of Jesus Christ, right? So the best thing you can say about a theologically formed mind is that it's obedient, not that it has native intelligence or anything like that, that it's obedient to the word and obedient to the mystery of Jesus Christ. What happens there is that theological formation, being faith-seeking understanding, shares in the baptismal pattern that is the pattern for all of Christian existence. This is why you want to do theology in the church. Do you see that? <laughs> it's not a monument, right? It's a tomb. It's our, it's our tomb, right? It's where our Lord bids us, like Bonhoeffer would say, come and die with me. Think about the motion of baptism, that font right in the middle of the congregation, that symbol of Jesus Christ. See this? Think about the mission of the church. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, not away from me, I'll go with you, right? Go and bring to bear upon the world everything that I have taught you. And I will be with you, right? It's a commission, it's not a delegation. I will be with you to the end of the age, but go teaching and baptizing. Why baptizing? The symbol's astounding, isn't it? This is, this is the sign. Um, that marks the church and the sign that marks the church in the world and says to the world, um, all of your self-justifications, um, all of your supposed solutions, they have to come and die, right? They're ultimately groundless. Every, every reason you think you might have for pride and pretense, it's got to enter the font. 
than the other motion. <laughs> there is joy. There is life, right? There is light. But in the, in, the, in the economy of God, it comes forth out of death, right? If there's no, if there's no ground for pride, there's no ground for despair when Aslan's afoot, right? Your, your, your despair is equally groundless as your pride. And so that's, that's the pattern, that baptismal pattern, which is a pattern of all of our life. A living out of our baptism is the pattern of theological formation. The word of the Lord comes to us, right, um, to build us up, but sometimes what that looks like is, a, is it going after those calcified places or those, idolat those idolatries in us, right? pruning and plucking, binding and replanting and all of those things. So theology has to, has to take the shape of the pattern of our baptism. But you, you take that font out from amidst the context of doing theology, it changes theology quite a bit, I think, right? That's what we're doing. We're living out our baptism and our dying and rising um, that must take place and does take place in our formation. John Webster says it like this, Caught up by the Spirit into the reconciling work of God and Jesus Christ, our reason to that we could add, our intellect, our imagination, all of those things, our, um, our affections, are condemned and redeemed, torn away from their evil attachment to falsehood, vanity, dissipation, and so cleansed and sanctified for service and the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. That's what we do in theology. Absolutely glorious. Given that the church is a creature of the triune God, right? Called forth out of nothing, as it were, right? The, the, the word which um, creates that which has not yet been, right? We're, 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 we're people who have been, been brought out of nothingness. Um, into the body and bride, to be the body and bride of Jesus Christ. We're created for that dialogue, right? The Lord speaks to us. Not has spoken, the Lord speaks to us. And so what Christian theology is, is learning how to answer that holy address. Have you ever thought about how we learn to talk? Could you imagine if you took someone at a very young age and put them away somewhere and no one spoke to them and pulled them out at 20 years old, they would make some horrifying sounds, right? We learn to speak by being spoken to, right? You think about it, the way a, a mother hold, holds a child, right? Eyes to eyes, six inches away in, the, in, in, in feeding, right? And that child drawing life from mother and mother looks and gazes and smiles and coos and what does she do? She calls forth response, right? The only way we actually learn to get our theological voice is in the context of the God who speaks over us, sings over us, right? Coos over us, as it were, loves us, delights in us. And Christian theology is our learning to get a voice, right? Our, our, our getting our voice and learning to speak back, uh, learning how to speak with increasing dimensions of faithfulness. Uh, joy, all of these things which are practices, right? It's one of the reasons that this has to be couched in the life of the church because anything that you do that's worthy of being done is about practice, right? Anything from playing the piano like Father Brett did to, <laughs> hey,
hitting the pot when you're learning, when you're learning how to, when you're being potty trained. It takes practice. Everything takes practice. It actually takes practice to hear the word of the Lord and to rejoice in the word of the Lord, right? The liturgy that we do, even when it's a hard word. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Not this. I don't know about that, right? Glory to you. Your word just hit, right? It's a hard word. Glory to you. That's why we do theology in the life of the church. It's a calling forth of these things. Theology is the words of faith and worship uttered by the church in response to, never prior to, never around, in response to, are being sought and found by God in the incarnate word. Jesus Christ is that word who was from the beginning. As he speaks to us, he teaches us how to speak. I'll just say one more thing. That's enough for a first day and intro. What we're doing here is we want to bring together, I'm on the last page here, Christian theology, which is both propositional, right, theological statement, <clears throat> um, um, textually oriented, that type of thing, the propositional dimension and the personal dimension. These must, must go together and never be pulled asunder because Jesus Christ is the living word and the living person, right? Theology is propositional and personal. If we pull proposition from the personal and we have a, a relationship with Jesus who has, you know, um, not, the, not the Christ of prophet and apostle, but whoever we make him to be is a wax nose. He'll never be the Lord. He'll never be the one that we, that we learn in discipleship. He'll be a figment of our own imagination. If we pull and, and prioritize the propositional apart from Jesus Christ, theology gets doctrinaire, it gets arid, it gets... Um, what does Helmetilica say? It's like a, a, a chain of, um, of armor that crushes us and freezes us to death. They always go together, right? So as we give ourselves to, to theology, what we're actually doing is we give ourselves to prophetic apostolic witness, to the living voice of the church. And as we do, right, we're actually mastered by Jesus Christ who um, enhances our knowing of him. Right? We grow up in knowledge of him. He intensifies our affections for him. Right? To do the work of theology is to learn how to fall in love with Jesus Christ. It quickens our trust in him. It calls forth and enlivens our obedience to him. Um, that's why theology needs to be done in the life of the church, and that's what we want to do at Gregory House. What I want to do now as we go forward is, how um, much time we got? I'm not going to teach the text, per se. I'm not going to teach this book, you know, um, page by page, because that's boring, actually. Um, what, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is assume, right, that we just have that shared background knowledge. So we'll, we'll talk about chapter one for the next several weeks. And I want to hit on major themes and just, you know, ask you, please, please, please bring anything and you know anything you want to bring to this to talk about we can do that but i'm gonna have a real basic outline of, of what we must say so what i want to talk about next week is that jesus christ is fully god and fully man right why it's so important that we get that at one and the same time jesus christ participates fully unreservedly in the life of god and in the life of man binds together god and man right what that means for Christian existence. What that means when we say something like this, God is love. 
Right? If that's who Jesus Christ is, that changes everything. And so I want to hit those, hit, hit those next week, and then I'll just hit four or five different major themes as we go, and you guys bring anything you want to talk about. Last words for today. Let me pray. Jesus Christ, we give you thanks um, that we were actually we were made for you. Um, Paul says that uh, before the foundations of the world, we were in, your Father. Um, conceived us, included us, <laughs> beheld us in you before we were even made, not alongside of you, in you. And in the fullness of time, you have sought us and you have found us and you have made us your own. I pray, Lord, that you would, as, what does John Donne say, uh, ravage us so that we'll be chased. Um, bind us to yourself, bind us so that we can learn to um, learn, learn love. Uh, and in all these things, we pray that you would have your holy will and way in our lives and that you would be glorified in all this. Build up your church, um, sanctify Church of the Resurrection and the Diocese of the Upper Midwest to um, the good, glorious calling you have for us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.